Hello everybody and welcome to the Tuesday Toolbox Meeting of Adult Children of Alcoholics in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. My name is Anne. I'm a Tuesday Toolbox member and an adult child. We are recording our speakers every week because we're hoping others will benefit from hearing these stories from our members. We'd love to hear your comments and questions. Our email address is TuesdayToolboxACA at gmail.com. Also, whether you're listening on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher, please take a minute to rate our podcast. It will help others find out about it. Adult Children of Alcoholics is a 12-step program of recovery for people who grew up in an alcoholic or otherwise dysfunctional home. If you'd like to find a meeting in your area, go to adultchildren.org and click on Find a Meeting. This week, we're hearing from our friend Leonardo, who had a great topic, Going Beyond Survival and Pursuing Your Dreams. Please enjoy. Ready? So ready. <laughs> so ready. And now, Oh, thank you guys. Thanks for waiting. I hope it lives up to its anticipation. Um, I'm going to record this, but I have no idea what's going to come out of my mouth. So if stuff I don't want public, I'm just going to not put it up. That's cool. Okay, so my name is Leonardo. I'm a recovering adult child. Uh, spring will be like four years in this program. So thanks to Carissa who uh, introduced me to it, which was really, I didn't know what I was getting into. Like when I first started coming to meetings here, I was like, this is, this group is really fucking weird. Like this was like my first meeting that I came to. And I just remember thinking, <clears throat> this is weird, but I'm pretty sure I really need this. And um, I had already been in recovery for like eight years before that. So I've been in recovery now for 11 years total. And I dealt with a lot of the stuff um, of like my childhood trauma because I had a really good sponsor in my primary program, which is OA. Um, and he, you know, we would talk on the phone like several times a week for anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour, like three times a week. So we clearly weren't just talking about food during all that time. We would end up talking about a lot of this deeper stuff that was exhibiting itself in my life. So I already kind of had like a background for it, but then he had like passed away about two years before I found this program. So I kind of was just like drifting because I hadn't really even realized what, how much of a gift he was giving me. Um, so I was feeling like something was missing. And, you know, when I came into this program and everybody was talking about like deep childhood trauma, um, I felt like, one, I kind of already knew that I wasn't alone, but this was like a program where we were like actually saying things like the, the things that you're seeing in your life are effects of growing up in a home of dysfunction. So like that was different because like, you know, a lot of times in, o, you know, in OA, they just took stuff from AA directly that was like, we don't know why we're this way. We just are this way and we would be this way no matter what. And I remember being like, that's bullshit. Like, I really don't think so. Like, and people would be like, I had a fine family. And then they would talk about their family. And I'd be like, your family's not fine, right? And it's like, that's like denial, right? So, um, you know, I came from a really abusive home. I've talked about that. It was abusive on many, many levels. My dad is, uh, was a, um, pretty sure a rageaholic, sexaholic, food addict, and he was a narcissist. And his power went unchecked in the home because there was nobody there to check it. And he was separate from his community, so he could just do whatever he wanted. So we were all kind of just 
like items that could be disposed of anyway. Like that's how I, I kind of understand it. So I didn't label my home as abusive or toxic or any of that stuff until like several years into therapy. So like my therapist would say things like, you know, that's abuse and I would be shocked. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like now the, the memory of not remembering that that, like not calling it abusive is so far away. But I say that like, cause I would question for a really long time. Like, was I abused? Was that really abuse? Am I making this up? Um, especially cause I had like the dialogue of my family running through my head that was like, this is just how we do things. And it's cause we're Albanian and Americans are weird. You know, they don't hit their children. And, um, you know, I've come to realize that that's abuse, you know? So I think I, I do want to read a little bit from the red book. Cause I found some stuff that I think is like really important. Like, I think what I would like to talk about today, um, is moving beyond like survival. Cause they talk about that in the book. I feel like a lot of us are really good at survival. I mean, we're here, so that shows that we're really good at survival, but we can like often live a life that's like not up to what we, that like a life that like doesn't like make us get up in the morning and go, yeah, I'm so glad I'm alive. It's like, cool, I got through that day. Let me get through this one. And you know, I just don't, I don't want to live that way. That's why I came to ACA. Like I was surviving before I came to ACA. Like I don't need an ACA to help me survive. Like I know how to do that. Like I need ACA to like help me find my true self and like live this life of freedom. That's like sometimes, you know, that's talked about in the book. So, you know, I highlighted a couple of things, um, which are, uh, really appropriate for stuff that I'm dealing with right now in my life. And I will just share about it. Um, so if anybody wants to follow along, it's on page 429 of the red book. Um, they're talking about beyond survival. So in the second paragraph, they say, by moving beyond survival, we realize that lost dreams or wishes can reemerge. The return of dreams is a signal that we are continuing our separation from family work. We learned in chapter two that we had internalized many aspects of our parents' thinking and behaving. We had no real identity or dreams separate from them. Even if we had moved far away, our parents and their dysfunction still lived inside us. By working the ACA program, we began the process of externalizing our parents, so to speak. We are moving them out of our thinking and behaving so we can find our own identity. Through ACA, we get to say who we are instead of a dysfunctional relative saying who we are not. Okay, so, um, and then there's some more stuff I think you can, you know, you can look it up, but uh, this sentence also struck me, which said, you know, adding dreams to our lives is a key spiritual element in maintaining emotional sobriety. Because like, as a person who survived, like anything that's not crucial to survival is trivial in my evaluation. So it's like, um, dreams, trivial, love, trivial, relationships, trivial, uh, fun, definitely trivial. And that's because like, you know, the survival uh, mode of operating is the driving force. I mean, it had to be, otherwise I, I wouldn't have survived, you know, but the truth of the matter is like the only thing that really kind of kept me sane and got me out of that family was the fact that I had dreams. Like I had real substantial dreams from being a young kid that are still with me today and have like never lost. And they are the thing that drove me to get out and find my freedom. And they were the things that were being threatened most assuredly. So, you know, um, a lot of you guys know I'm an actress, but I'm also like primarily now a writer and a creator. And, uh, you know, I was always very creative. 
from a child. Like, you know, I'd come home from school and then I would write these stories or I'd write songs. I'd like write love songs and like my mother would find it and be like, who are you in love with? And it would be like, I don't know. I'm just writing songs, you know? And um, when I came to be like of age, like in high school, I really started to like pursue these dreams like pretty hard. You know, I like found acting classes, like I fundraised my own money. Like I would organize like dances at talent shows. Like I did like everything on my own because I, I had a feeling like I couldn't rely on my parents. And I didn't know yet to keep those dreams protected because, you know, I was like 15. And like sometimes I think back and I go, why didn't I know? And then, and then I look at a common 15 year old and I'm like, oh yeah, like that's what it looks like to be 15, not like my 34 year old self in a 15 year old body. And so, you know, when I was openly expressing the desire to pursue these dreams, my dad came down hard on, you're an idiot, you're never gonna be able to do it. Um, no one knows who you are, that industry is all about connections. My daughter's not gonna be a slut who's convinced I had to like sleep around, you know, which like the recent media cases haven't really helped that argument, but it doesn't matter. Like, it was extremely violent toward me for having those dreams. So um, I ended up giving up some of them. Like I used to really sing and my dad, uh, if he heard me singing at any point, he'd be like, you can't sing, what are you doing? You're an idiot, like you don't even have a voice. So I was like, cool, shutting that down, done. And then when I decided I was gonna move into like a different area, like acting, I kept it a secret from him. Cause I was like, he cannot know because if he knows he's gonna crush it. But you know, like you can only keep so many secrets like living in the same house with people. So he kind of like sniffed it out and pretty much told me like, you're never gonna be able to do it. And I internalized that. I mean, what else are you gonna expect from like a 15 year old? There's no other voice there. And when I moved out, um, which was the impetus to me like getting out of the house cause you know, women in my culture don't move out until they're married or they live with their parent forever, which is like, was death to me. I was like, I'm gonna die if I do that. I, the reason I left was because I was like, if I was like this close to giving up my acting career, I had gotten to, into a really difficult program with like a really good teacher. And um, I like showed up and couldn't act. And I thought he was a fucking idiot. And that my whole attitude was like, you're a fucking idiot. And this whole career is a fucking retarded thing. And I'm going to burn the whole thing down and myself with it. And like by the end of that class, like I broke down in tears and told him what was going on and he was like well if you don't get out you know you're gonna die and i was like you're right so within a few months of that i like made plans and moved out and i was like you know what i'm not i can't be here and pursue my dream so i left and that was like 12 years ago so it's taken me like 12 years to be in a place where i can actually like create things and I'm like gonna cry about it because I'm super emotional about the whole thing. But I have a premiere in like two days. And I was like freaking out today. Cause it like, you know, it hit me. I've invited like 125 of like my closest people and like family that I've repaired relationships with. My dad's obviously not invited and never will be. And that's his loss. Like he'll never get to see my creative work because he's not a safe person, you know? And like, I've created that kind of boundary for myself today. But today I was like freaking out and I was like crawling around on the floor. My part, I was crawling around on the floor with my boyfriend in there being dramatic, being like, why do I do this to myself? Why can't I just live a safe, comfortable life being an LSAT tutor? <laughs> and, 
no one's ever going to criticize my LSAT lessons. And he was like, you know the answer to that. And it's like, yeah, I do know the answer to that. Because whenever I do too much tutoring and I don't do any creative work, the first question that comes to my mind is, why am I alive? Why am I alive? This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, what's my purpose? And then reading this part of the book, you know, I need help integrating this. I don't fully believe that dreams are a key part of life. I don't, because I've been able to survive, quote unquote, survive without them. Until I remind myself, like, the only reason you were able to survive was because you had a dream that you were going after. Mm -hmm. So it's protection, it's safety, because, you know, what I have internalized is my dad's voice telling me, you're an idiot, you're never going to do it, I don't know what you're thinking, you're not talented. No, and, th and this is from a person who never saw any of my work, by the way. Okay, so, but he knew, right? And that's kind of what narcissists do, right? They convince you with this kind of authority that they have no right saying. Um, so I'm having to kind of do that inner work to repair that. And I've clearly been doing it because there's no way I would have been able to like do this work. And this isn't the first time I'm putting something up, by the way, like this, this project has been like four years in the making. And um, I did live readings of, the process right so I put it out for people and like the first time I was a little like not as conscious as I am now because of like the ACA recovery so I could kind of like just do it with this like sheer force of the will and not realize all the painful terrifying feelings that come up but by like you know being in this program and working I, ha I really have worked my recovery around it because you know I'll talk to my even my ACA sponsor and I'm I'm waiting for him to tell me yeah, you're right, this is like not the most essential item, so like why don't you just focus on your business and like put this down? And he doesn't say that ever at any point. He says things like, um, it doesn't actually matter what the effect of your, whether you, what the results are of your actions. So he's saying it doesn't actually matter if you succeed in the way you wanna succeed with your dream of like making a television show. What matters is that you took the action. That, that counts like on a, there's like a spiritual weight to our actions. So he's like, you know, he's talking some esoteric stuff where he's like, you know, there's a spiritual plane of our existence also. And we can't always see like the weight of our actions in that plane because we're living in the material world. So he's like, you know, you can focus all day on like, is it gonna be successful? Is it gonna be picked up? But the weight of it is happening just because of what you're doing. And things like that have gotten me through, like real moments of wanting to give up, real moments of like not wanting to trust, you know, where it's like, oh, okay, like I live on a spiritual plane too. And, you know, I'm gonna have to deal with those repercussions. Like whatever, I don't know what, you know, it depends on like what your spiritual philosophy of life is. But like for me, I do believe in reincarnation and I believe in like, you know, we take with us, like the only thing we really take with us in this world is like the weight of our actions and like how we've been with other people and like the feelings we've held in our hearts. Like I really do believe that. So to me, I have to keep reminding myself because this voice is so strong and it's a survival voice. And I know that it's happening because what happens to me is like freeze mode. I go right into freeze mode and that was what's happening today. There's like this ice cube that comes over my chest that's like really heavy and I am immobilized and I can't feel any of my feelings, you know, like I can't do, I just can't do stuff, you know? And it makes sense that this is coming up because it's, this is like life threatening, at least in my programming, right? Because in my programming, I am challenging the patriarch 
who is extremely violent and extremely threatening and being like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing you told me I couldn't do anyway. And my whole body is like, this is not how we learn to survive. Like, this is, this isn't, this is dangerous. You're going to die. You're going to die, you know? And so that, then my, you know, uh, survival mechanisms kick in. And for me, like the way to survive was to completely freeze, shut everything down. But I don't, I don't want to live that way. Like I'm 34, like I could potentially live like another 50 years. And do I want to keep living like that? I don't, I mean, I could potentially like live no more years, but generally speaking, I'm going to be on the hopeful side and think, you know, it's going to be a long time. And I don't want to live with my father as my higher power, which is really what the battle is, right? It's like, I hear that there's like a loving higher power from these rooms who takes care of you and like, you know, steers you towards like a beautiful life, which is completely different than what I grew up. And it's like, do I want to listen to that and give my life over to that? Or do I want to listen to the programming? And it's, re it's really, like, it sounds really simple, like, duh, option A, right? <laughs> but the, the, like, child inside, the body, all that stuff, that does, it doesn't know that that option A is real. Yeah. It's like, no, that's an illusion, and we all made that up to make ourselves feel good, and, like, cavemen made it up in cave times because they were alone, so they needed, like, this loving path. Like, I'll just get into, like, a real philosophical argument about why God is not real. And the only thing that kicks me out of that is like, okay, cool, then you're left with your father. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, I don't care. You can make up all the fairies you want. I'm gonna believe in the fairies over him because that is really grim. And if I had to live with only that perspective as possible, I would rather not live. And I mean that hundred mm percent. -hmm. Like if the only way for me to live was according to my father's code of living, I would just be like done with it. I'd be done with it and like I don't want to end my life <laughs> like I'm not you know about that so because I'm choosing to keep living I have to choose a different philosophy of living and I have to choose a different higher power and I forget that I have to do that every single day like that you know the whole thing in like AA where they talk about you know we wake up with our sick thinking or whatever like I don't always believe that because sometimes I, I don't like the really harsh language from that program but I can believe it in this area, you know, like the same way I guess that an, an alcoholic wakes up with the compulsion to drink every day. I think I wake up with the compulsion to stay safe and listen to my father every day, you know, and um, I can do that, but it doesn't lead to a really good life. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't lead to a life that people are happy about. And I will say that anytime I do pursue my dreams, it brings joy like to me and to other people. And um, that to me is, you know, telling. So I have to remind myself, like, there's a statement in here that says, like, oh, we have to remind ourselves that our higher power didn't bring us this far just to drop us now. And I've heard people say that, and I'm like, oh, you're assuming your higher power brought you anywhere. And like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so you think you did this all by yourself? Like, you think you came out of your really dysfunctional home all by yourself? You think you made up the dream by yourself? Like, that's, that's also a narrative. You don't know if that's true. Like, what if you had like a more empowering narrative like it was a dream that was given to you to like help you out and that these impulses that you feel to go in pursuit of it are from a source greater than yourself and a benign loving source that wants to lead you to the light.
And the only way you can know that that's real is how do you feel when you do that versus how do you feel when you don't? And it's like, when I do that, I feel light. There is light, there's actual an image of lightness. And when I do the other thing, there's an image of gray and gloom and trapment, you know? And I'm not the only one. So I know I'm not making it up, you know? So this event that I'm having on Thursday, you know, I wrote uh, five half hour comedy episodes and I uh, produced them with like the money that I saved up for my LSAT tutoring, right? And we shot it over the summer and every single person who came on set had an uplifting experience. Like people who just would stop by and visit and were like, wow, this sound, sound, it seems fun. Like I wanna be a part of this, you know? And it was collaborative, like my loving parent was there and my creative inner child was there. And there was just like, like the only way I can describe it is like picture a bunch of children, like hanging around my apartment with like crayons and glitter and just like throwing everything everywhere and be like, woo, thanks for letting this come out. Like that's what everybody was doing, you know, but like in a, in a nice organized fashion where we have like a nice painting at the end, not like a glob of glue that you're like, that's great. Thank you. You know, it was like, there was people's best selves were really coming out. And I'm like, you know, if the experience of doing that was like joyful, then I have to trust, you know, when I do like what I really care about, it, it's, it doesn't just affect me positively, which even if it just affected me positively, I have to just say it out loud, that's enough. I tend to discredit like my own value because that's how I was brought up. But like, I am one person on this planet. So even if it just makes me a little bit more joyful, like that's like a little bit more joy for the planet. But then like imagine if it makes like, you know, 20 more people joyful and then each of those people affect people in their lives. Like that's so much better than like, you know, when I show up to tutoring and I'm like, oh, another corporate lawyer made <laughs> like that's kind of how I feel. But it's 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 like a safety job and I have to recognize it because sometimes I do like feel like I just want to bury myself in here. And then I'm like, you can't like you literally can't. But I'm terrified of the other side, you know. So, um, is anybody timing me? Is that my time? Was that, I, th I feel like that's been enough time. Oh man. Okay, so I'm gonna stop talking, but um, thank you guys for letting me share. Thank you.